This morning, I want us to answer a simple question. Why did Christ suffer on the cross? Now, we're asking this question today because it is Good Friday. Uh, Good Friday is a day set aside every year to celebrate the death of Christ. And I emphasize the word celebrate, not to feel sorry for Christ, but to rejoice that Christ suffered on the cross. Now, that is very strange when you think about it. I, I don't know if you've thought about that, but what we're doing today is very strange. Uh, there is a war in the Ukraine, right? Many people are dying there. But no one is celebrating. In fact, everyone wants that war to end. No one is ordering uh, service in celebration of the war. So it begs the question, isn't it? Why are we here celebrating that Christ died? And to answer that, we need to answer today's question. Why did Christ suffer on the cross? And to help us answer that question, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, just prior to verse 24, Peter has been encouraging us to respond to suffering in our lives by following the example of Christ. Verse 21 to 23 says that, doesn't it? For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter is saying, when you suffer, you should be like Christ. Don't take matters into your own hands, regardless of where the source of the suffering is coming from. Follow Christ as an example. But Peter wants us to keep in mind that Christ is not just our example. We are not here this morning because Christ is our example for suffering. We are here this morning because the suffering of Christ is unique. No one has ever suffered and will ever suffer like the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on Good Friday. And so the question is, why is the suffering of Christ unique? And verse 24 answers that for us. It gives us... Three reasons why the suffering of Christ is unique. First, Christ suffered not for himself, but for sinners. Christ suffered for sinners. Not for good people, but for sinners. The Times newspaper once sent out an inquiry to famous authors and experts, and it asked them this question. The question it asked was this, what's wrong with the world today? I wonder how you'd answer that question. What's wrong with the world today? And I'm sure if we went outside, we are likely to get different answers. And some people may say, the reason what's wrong with the world is that we are not at peace. We are not at peace with one another. Others may suggest corrupt leadership, lack of integrity among our leaders. That's the problem. Others may say, what's wrong with the world is human ignorance or even religion. Or even God himself, they may point to God as what's wrong with the world. The list of answers people are able to give to this question is endless. And I'm wondering, what is your answer? How do you answer that question? What is wrong with the world 
today. Well, one of the people who responded to this question is a Christian apologist, G.K. Chesterton. He received the question, and he responded back, and his answer was very simple to the Times. He simply said, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton is saying the fundamental problem is us. It is me. Me is what is wrong with the world. Now, I think it was nearly right. He was nearly there. According to, to the Bible, what is wrong with the world is not so much me, it's my sin. Now, we've got to be more specific. It is our sin. The Bible says all of us are spiritual patients infected with the spiritual virus of sin. And this is the first thing we notice when we look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. The first, the first sentence there. It says, speaking of Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Our sins. Peter is saying all of us are sinners living with other sinners in a sinful world. And we have been like this since Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. All of us are sinners. The problem, of course, is that in our society, people don't believe this anymore. There was a time when they believed this truth that we are sinners, but they don't believe this anymore. The language of sin has disappeared. No one calls themselves a sinner anymore. You won't hear this word on TV. A powerful politician um, was caught holding parties during lockdown. When he was first confronted, he, says, he said, it is all hearsay. No laws were broken. When the police finished the investigation last week, they found that he had broken the law. Well, this week, in fact. And they gave him a fine. They gave his deputy, the next most powerful person, also a fine. For breaking the law that he declared on everyone. And so the media got around and they asked him a question. Are you going to resign for two things? Are you going to resign because, first of all, you broke the law? And are you going to resign because you lied to the country? The politician answered, I regret what I did, but I am getting on with delivering for the people of this country. And that was the end of the story. No mention of the evil of the act. People no longer sin anymore. They are willing to admit mistakes or some error of judgment, but not sin. They don't see themselves as sinners before God. So when the Apostle Peter says we are sinners here, we must now ask ourselves, what exactly is sin? What does he mean when he says our sins? What is sin? Well, the original word for sin is, miss, is missing the mark. Or the target, you know, you're meant to pack precisely as you're coming in today. Uh, you're meant to pack in the boxes we have marked out um, between those white lines. But you sometimes pack over the line, right? You have missed the mark. You have failed the standard set. That is what sin is. And the target all of us miss is, is God, Right? God is holy, he's good, he's, he's majestic, he's glorious. 
And he has a standard he has set of himself. And we are meant to fit into that standard, but we don't. We, we don't treat God as he deserves to be treated. We miss the mark that God has set. None of us here put God first in our lives. We only live for ourselves. And that is what sin is. Living for number one rather than God. But listen, sin is not simply that things we do or things we don't do. It's not simply uh, things we do. They're not just actions. They're not even, sin is not even just simply words we say or evil thoughts we have. When Peter says here, our sins, it means much deeper than that. Our sin is a perverted principle or moral force in our heart, in our inner being. The theologian Alec Motia says this. He says, sin is the inner reality of our deviant nature. There is within every human being a pervertedness within. We are corrupt to the core. The Bible says we are haters of God. And we are all born like that in this world. The Puritan Richard Sibbs puts it like this. The human heart is like a dungeon. There is nothing to be seen but horror and confusion. This is a problem with every human being. We are all by nature knee deep in sin. We are all natural born haters of God. No one here has always loved God. Not even one. Now I know many in our societies do not agree with this truth. That we are sinners. They will say, I am not a sinner because I have my own truth and you have your own truth. Now I was thinking about that and I thought to myself, hmm, no one lives like that. I mean, imagine if Russia says today that it has its own truth about the Ukraine. In fact, it has said that, <laughs> right? Just checking you're with me. He has said that. Has anyone accepted that? Not a chance. Not a chance. So we know not everybody. No one has their own truth. It is not good enough for us to say we are not sinners because we have our own truth. Truth, by definition, is absolute. It is a statement that matches reality. And the only one who knows the truth is the almighty God who created all things. And the Bible tells us that God has revealed the truth about us in the Bible. And the Bible is saying here, all of us are sinners. And unless you understand this as your biggest problem in life, you won't benefit from the next words that come after this, or the, the verse as a whole. Look at verse 24 again, the first sentence. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Listen, before we can benefit from Christ's suffering on Good Friday, we must get it that he is first and foremost dying for sinners. We must admit that we are sinners before God. You must admit in your heart, I am a lost depraved, hell-deserving sinner before God. I am not a good person before God. 
I need the mercy of God. You must start where the Bible starts. And that's where it starts. If you haven't done that, you haven't even begun there, you are not a Christian yet. And so the question I asked you, so I asked you this morning is this. Is this how you see yourself? Do you accept you are a sinner? And that your sin grieves God deeply? Do you accept that you're not good enough for God? Well, if the answer is yes, then praise God. Praise God. If the answer is no, then as I said, you are not a Christian yet. You are still in your sins. And you are under the wrath and judgment of God. But if the answer is yes, then the second truth of this verse is for you. And it's wonderful news. Why did Christ suffer? Well, first of all, Christ suffered for sinners. Point number one. Point number two, Christ suffered in our place. In our place. The Bible says the result of sin is that we are cut off from God, the source of life. We are under the punishment of death in all of its forms. That's Romans 6 verse 23. The wages of sin is death. And God can only remove the punishment hanging over us if someone perfect willingly takes our place and suffers the punishment from God for us. But that individual must first of all be human to stand in for us. And he must be as powerful as God is to take the very wrath and punishment of God on our behalf. He must be the God-man. And the good news of this verse is that God the Son has willingly stepped into our shoes and taken the bullet of the cross in our place. That's verse 24, isn't it? He himself, Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree. You know the phrase there, his body on the tree, refers to the physical death of Christ on the cross. Peter says tree. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to look up Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 to 23. I'll just read it for you. That's where he's quoting from. He says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defy your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Peter is saying, with Deuteronomy in mind, that the shameful death of Christ is God the Son, Christ, choosing to suffer the infinite wrath of God as a criminal cursed by God in your place. Beloved, you will never understand the wonder of Good Friday until you are clear about who it was that was dying on that Roman cross. Everything comes down to that. Many people have been, have been crucified throughout history. But the question we are, that confronts us this morning is this. Who is it that died on that cross? It was not simply a good man. It was not some enlightened human being. 
It is not some moral teacher on his journey of self-exploration. No, on the cross was God the Son. The almighty God. The creator of all things. The one who created the very nails that pierced him. The one who created the very soldiers who nailed him to that cross. The God who holds every atom in the universe together. The amazing good news of Good Friday is that instead of you suffering everlasting punishment at the hand of God, God himself in Christ suffered in your place. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now we know Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was betrayed, flogged, insulted, and crucified naked in shame for us. And yet that does not even begin to describe the depth of horror of what took place on that cross. During those three hours when the son fled in horror, on the cross, God the Father inflicted omnipotent blows on the soul of our Lord Jesus. He poured on Christ his full punishment, the punishment we deserve for our sin and filth. Beloved, whatever your situation this morning, this truth that God in Christ has suffered for you should make you pause and reflect. Everything else should stop and you should think about that. It should first of all remind you just how serious sin is. The death of Jesus on the cross tells us that God hates sin with all his divine intensity. God abominates sin with the full intensity of his perfect and holy nature. He does not just hate sin, he cannot tolerate it. He can't compromise with it. Sin is so serious that God must punish it. And it's such a serious crime to God that it takes God himself to suffer punishment in order to save you and I from it. Nothing shows how serious my sin is before God than the fact that the punishment of it can only be borne by the almighty God himself. Thinking about Jesus hanging there on the cross should make us feel ashamed of ourselves for loving the poisonous venom of sin. Every sin. Unforgiveness, lies, dishonesty. Every sin. It should make us want to get rid of it. It is impossible for us to see God the Son, beloved, listen to me. It is impossible for us to see God the Son looking at us from that bloody cross and be complacent about sin. Unless you haven't seen Christ crucified. So the cross shows us that sin is serious. Most importantly, the cross also shows us clearly that the love of God is beyond the comparison, isn't it? 
What a loving and compassionate God our Christ is. You know, God could have simply abandoned us to our everlasting punishment. He could have left us reap the fruit of our sin and perish in hell forever. But he did not do that. Oh, out of the abundance of his great love for us, he pursued us all the way to the cross. And there on the cross, he bore our punishment for us. Oh, beloved, think afresh with me about the suffering of our Lord. Think of his tears in Gethsemane there. His mockery and beatings by the temple guards. Look at Christ shackled in that circle of hate of the Roman soldiers. As they put that crown of thorns on his head. As they scourge his sinless body. See him bleeding. And hear the cries of agony as our Lord Jesus is led up to the hill of Golgotha, right? See him hanging on the cross, crucified with nails. Hear the taunts from the chief priests as Christ bleeds and cries in agony on that cruel cross. As he reeves in that terrible darkness under the very wrath of God. Ponder over that wondrous cross. All of that, he did it for you. Every strike against his skin, every spit in his face, every drop of blood, every nail, he suffered it all. For you. For you. He did it because he thought of you. It takes a stony heart not to be moved by amazing love like this. Because it's more than love. The Bible calls it grace. It is God's relentless pursuit of rebels. A love that comes after sinners to offer us a priceless gift of a new life with God, purchased by God himself. And this morning I just want to ask the question, do you know this love for yourself? Do you know this Christ who bled and died for your sins intimately? Have you accepted this amazing sacrifice that occurred on that Good Friday 2,000 years ago? Christ dying in your place for your sins. I just want to say, please do not underestimate what is at stake here. If you do not wholeheartedly surrender to Christ, you are rejecting that very sacrifice in your place. You're saying to God, I am making a choice to fully... Listen to me. You are saying to yourself, I am making a conscious choice... To fully bear on myself the very wrath and punishment that I deserve for all eternity. I don't want Jesus dying in my place. That's what you're saying. I just want to remind you, beloved, we are too small to withstand the wrath of God. You are too small to be in the hands of the living God. In fact, the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God.
Christ is our only shelter from God's everlasting punishment. So run to Christ today. Admit you're a sinner. Repent of your sin. Ask Christ to give you a new life based on his precious death on the cross for your sin. A free gift of life. Let Christ make you right with God today. Do not reject his offer to be your substitute. Surrender your life to him. Become a true Christian. Let this wondrous cross be really wondrous in your life. Become a true Christian. Some of us here are already trusting in Christ, aren't we? So what does Good Friday then mean for us? Why did Christ suffer for us? What does this truth that Christ suffered in our place mean for you and I who are already trusting in Christ? Well, that's the final point there on your outline, isn't it? Christ suffered to make us live for God. Good Friday is another reminder to you to live for God. That's the third point. Christ suffered in our place to make us live for God by saving us from the power of sin and the presence of sin. Look at verse 24. He himself, that is Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter is saying those who are in Christ have now died to sin, to the old way of life. They are finished with sin. Because when Christ died, they also died. They died with him. And when Christ rose, they rose to new life with him. If you are in Christ, you are now able to live right before God because the power of sin has been broken. Now, I don't know what addictions you are facing this Good Friday morning. Are you struggling with lust? Are you wrestling with gossip? Are you battling self-loathing? Are you battling unforgiveness? Are you battling laziness? Are you battling divisiveness? Are you battling greed? We battle many sins as believers. Temptations can leave us feeling helpless, isn't it? But if you are trusting in Christ, Christ has died in your place. He has broken the power of those sins. You are done with sin. There is hope for your struggles because you're already dead to them. Victory against sin, beloved, starts with accepting that sin is not your master anymore. Many people come to me and say, look, I'm struggling with this and that sin. Where do I start? Reckon yourself dead to sin. That's where we start. Believe, verse 24, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Victory against sin starts by accepting that sin is not your master anymore in Christ. Reckon yourself finished with it. And once you believe that truth, you must now go on in faith and ask Christ to help you live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, keep your eye on the rest of verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
Peter here is quoting, of course, Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of our soul. You know, that passage uh, was a foretelling of the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who heals our sin and restores peace, the peace of God in our lives. The original word for peace, we've been looking at it in Colossians, is shalom, isn't it? It means flourishing in every area of life. And I've said like a well-watered plant, total, complete absence of brokenness. The prophet Isaiah saw the coming of Jesus as bringing in this new flourishing in our inner life with God, with each other, and even with our environment, actually. And all we in Jesus are, are already experiencing some flourishing, but the full experience is not yet. It will only come in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. This is why Christ suffered, beloved. He suffered in our place to pay the penalty of sin. He suffered in our place to, to remove the power of sin. And he suffered in our place to remove the presence of sin. There's a time coming when we live in the new heavens and new earth where we'll flourish with God with eternal peace. How do we respond to such blessings that Christ has unleashed for us? Well, the only thing we can do is to thank him and rejoice. It's Good Friday. That's the only response. We cannot help but, 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 but be moved with joy and gratitude to Christ. When we think about what Christ has accomplished, when I think about it, I cannot help but look at the cross and say, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I can't help but be amazed that Christ, my God, died for me. He took my place on that bloody cross. He chose those Roman nails for my benefit. He bled and died for me. In the words of the hymn writer, the hymn writer puts it like this, bearing shame and scoffing root, in my place condemned stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! What a savior. And immediately I find myself singing with another hymn writer, whom we just sang, isn't it? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my hope. How else are we to thank him? Well, it's only by surrendering our souls to him, isn't it? Our hope to him. And to live and tell others about it. The Christian lives for Christ. Not fundamentally for ourselves. And I've been asking myself this week, what is my Christian life about? What is my Christian ministry about? You know, you need to ask yourself that, especially when things get difficult, tough. And things have been tough for me for the last week, but I'll, I'll move on. But I'll say, what is my Christian life about? And the answer I've found is in this passage. We live for him. 
We live for him. Because he is worthy of all our worship. Everything in our life comes down to this point. That in Christ we have a God. Our loving Savior. Christ suffered for me a sinner. He suffered in my place. And he suffered to make me live for God. Well, may the Lord help us, this is to marvel at the amazing love of Christ our Lord and to tell another soul this is done about it.